This week, Sister Hannah Troxell continues the series on the Sermon on the Mount with a sermon titled, We Are Preaching, But Are We Practicing? Um, just a quick question. Who in here is going back to school in the next month? Who's really excited about it? I was... In late June, I was like, man, I can't wait for school to start back. Like, I'm so bored. And today I was watching Eliana Ingram. We were talking about school starts on August 11th. And I was like, <gasps> orientation is this week and I'm not ready. Which is a little bit more overwhelming maybe when you're the teacher because you have to have, like, plans. So pray for me and I will be praying for all of you, of course. Um Good news is we are coming, I don't know if it's good news. I don't know if it's actually good news. I take that back. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but we are kind of closing up the um, Sermon on the Mount, I think, in the next few. We've drug it on for like a long time because there was a lot of breaks. So that's what I meant by good news. Sermon on the Mount is an excellent topic taught by our Jesus. So, of course, it's good. Um, we're looking in Matthew 7, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'm going to be reading from verse 13 through 20. I'm going to read all of the verses right now, and then as I teach, I'm going to pull from them again, so you can keep your Bible or phone app open if you'd like. Verse 7, chapter, or chapter 7, verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Most of you have probably read this verse, heard it taught on several times. It's pretty common. We're going to start off talking about what... Or where is that straight gate? And how do we find it? But what I want you to do right now, in just a second, I'm going to give you a second. I'm an introvert, so I really need people to, like, give me a heads up when I have to talk to the person next to me because it makes me super nervous. And I'm going to have you tell them what you remember learning about the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've been here, hopefully over the past three months you've learned something. If you haven't, Go back through right now in your Bible and look for a verse that sparks your memory because we have been talking about the Sermon on the Mount for a long time. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and say something that you've learned. Okay, so hopefully you've had enough time to share with the person next to you. Does anyone have anything that they have learned about the Sermon on the Mount? Does anyone remember Jesus' words? Alex? No, I don't. I didn't say anything. I didn't know. 
Jesus taught it. That is right. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus did teach. Does anyone else remember anything? David, thank you. That's exactly right. Most of the issues are heart issues. If you get that right, everything else is going to fall into place. Brother Brown? Right. Right. Excellent. So it's not like we're just casting out the Old Testament. Good. Okay. That, that is excellent. So we have been talking about this, and Jesus' object here was to help Christians, that's us, to realize our nature, our character as a people, and then to show us how we are to manifest that nature, that character into our daily lives, put it into practice. Jesus came to establish a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. He came into the midst of the kingdoms of this world, and his purpose is to call out a people unto himself from the world and to form them into a new kingdom. So we've worked through the description of the Sermon on the Mount. We started off with the Beatitudes. Because we are a certain kind of person, the world is going to react in a certain way to us. We're not to become like monks and live out away from people and never minister to people. We are to be salt and light. Jesus contrasts us to the Pharisees and t taught us how to give and how to fast and how to pray. And here he goes through the list and he's like, here it is. This is what my kingdom, this is my purpose. This is what it's supposed to look like. And now in this verse tonight, it's kind of like, now what are you going to do about it? There is no point in listening if you're simply just listening. You must apply it. James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I remember when I was little, it was really weird. If my mom would tell me to clean my room, I had a problem, and I really needed to know why I had to clean it. My little sister, however, she would be like, okay, and then she still wouldn't clean it. It drove me nuts because I was always in trouble because I was asking so many questions. She was just like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And then she didn't. So later on, she got in trouble too. But Jesus is saying, don't just listen. You have to do something about it. You have to follow through. So let's go back to chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it the lord exhorts us to stop and reflect upon the sermon so would we say is it what would we say is its outstanding characteristic what is this theme that is going over this whole part which i gave you guys time to do that jesus here is saying this outstanding characteristic is narrowness not some kind of narrow-minded way but a narrow way of living truth i'm going to stay on the narrow path of truth the illustration explains the broad path starts off broad people are going in in groups having endless fun it seems the narrow path though allows only one to enter at a time it is immediately narrow and it doesn't change. It stays narrow. 
It's an everyday decision to walk this narrow path. Will I serve God today? Will I dedicate my time to him? Will I dedicate my finances to him? Will I dedicate my entertainment to him? Some churches, some preachers, some people want to leave out that there are some things that won't fit in on the narrow path. But you have to break up with the world. You have to decide, I can't take the world on my narrow path. I love that Brother Mooney says, don't plan your life. You will always underplan it. Because when I was graduating IBC, I remember you have to go to Brother Galleon and tell him your plans. And I'm like, Brother Mooney says that we're not supposed to plan our life. And good news is I don't have any plans. <laughs> he didn't take that quite well. But um, what Brother Mooney is saying is be ready when God asks you to do something out of your comfort zone. If you are on the narrow way, you will do it because you have chosen to leave yourself, your plans, your ambitions outside the gate. This straight gate is hard to find and hard to get through. Like a passage between two rocks, there must be a new heart and a new spirit. Old things must truly be passed away. The soul must change. Corrupt habits and customs must be broken off. So we should ask ourselves, what is God asking me to leave outside the gate? What am I trying to pull through the narrow way that he said, uh-uh, leave it out? This is narrow in another way, though. It's difficult. Few there be that find it. It always involves persecution. That was part of the Beatitudes. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. The world has always persecuted the church, rejected the good. We must be ready to be misunderstood, even misunderstood by your closest of friends and family. The straight gate does not admit us by families, but one by one. This narrow way is not simply a thought to ponder, but a call to action. It starts off, enter ye. This is an invitation and exhortation at the same time. The gospel requires a decision, a commitment. Jesus said, follow me. So here's the decision. Will you follow him or not? There is no in-between. He didn't just say, considered me or admire me. He said, follow me. You, me, all of us, we have to decide. And the refusal to decide indecision is in fact choosing, choosing not to follow. Passive resistance is resistance. Indecision is fatal because it means wrong decision. We cannot say, I will decide tomorrow, because that means your decision for today was to not follow. He is calling us to an action, to follow him, to enter ye in the gate. We sing songs like, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, but have we really decided at all cost that I'm going to follow him and leave what I want behind? 
Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Why do only a few people find it? Because only a few seek it. The greatest danger would be to listen to the truth. Read the truth. Nod your heads at the truth. Amen the truth. Run the aisles at the truth. And then do nothing about it. So here in this class where it's safe, we agree with the truth. We amen the preacher. But what about outside these walls when I'm deciding how to spend my time? Deciding what to watch, deciding what to laugh at, deciding what jokes to tell, deciding whether or not to reach out to the people I know the Lord spoke to me and said, tell them I love them. But the broad way we know leads to destruction. It is empty and useless. A person will eventually grow old with living from party to party, event to event. On the narrow path, we are given principles to live by. And yes, sometimes it is difficult. Sometimes we do walk through persecution, but we are protected by these principles. Every law, rule, instruction the Bible lays out for us is truly in our best interest. God is saying, I will keep you safe. I will protect you from all harm, from everything, if you will follow me. The good news is, even though few there be that find it, there is that one who created the sun, the moon, the stars, who goes before you on this path. And even though there are few that find it, there are those few that find it. I am personally thankful for friendships from Indiana Bible College that have continued, for this class and friendships of people who have encouraged me when I've been down. There are those few that have found it, and we must remember that in our weak times also. So if we go down, that's kind of talking 13 and 14, let's read verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. There are two kinds of false prophets, those that teach falsely and those that's lives differ from what they teach. Alexander McLaurin said, it is not a test to detect heretics, but rather unmasked, unmasked hypocrites and especially unconscious heretics. Jesus explains about the false prophet. You might notice you might not notice at first as he'll be wearing a sheep's clothing. So he looks like he's okay. He might sound like he's all right. But he explains in the next verse that we will be able to differentiate the false and true prophets by their fruits. So a person with teachings who seem good at first, his or her teachings focus on the love of God, the cross, the good news. Seems like a sheep. But if he never mentions the straight gate, doesn't talk about the narrow way, doesn't say there are things we must avoid, things we can't do while being in right relationship. If the teaching doesn't say anything that's offensive to self, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. If there is no narrow way in your teaching, if there is no narrow way in your thinking, you are on the broad path and leading others to it. 
as well. I am, though, thankful for an excellent pastor, for good leaders who are dedicated to preaching and teaching of truth, no matter the cost. So thankful. Brother Mooney gets up every Sunday, I feel like, and says, if you don't like what I'm preaching, I'll go preach in a storefront. Thank you for not being willing to be sold to sell something, to preach something false. We need strong pulpits. We do have an issue in our culture, and we cannot just avoid it. We cannot just say, well, our youth group seems okay right now, so we don't have to be strong. No, we must continue to show the younger generation the truth. And even though you're not in youth world, they're probably looking to you because guess what? You're the age right above them. You are where they're headed. Be an example whether you feel like you are or not. Our world is not backing down, and we mustn't either. We can look back at the Old Testament and see when a true prophet like Jeremiah came along, the false prophets were there to question, resist, denounce, and ridicule him. They were described as, they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly or lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The false prophet is always a comforting preacher. He gives you the impression that there is not very much wrong. He isn't foolish enough to say nothing is wrong, but he preaches everything's going to be okay. Judgment is not coming. Do not listen to the preacher. I would say be careful of those that are speaking against leadership, against someone who is preaching what needs to be preached. Do not become that person that is tearing down the ministry. The false prophet also doesn't preach about holiness, righteousness, justice, or the wrath of God. He mentions only the love of God, but leaves out the correct order, that mishpat, that justice of God. He leaves out judgment, hell, effects of sin, or that there is sin. He leaves out the real cross. He, his preaching is not foolishness to the Greeks. It is not a stumbling block to the Jew. This false teaching desires a holiness like that of the Pharisees, something that is not connected to the heart. David Jones, who is not apostolic, says it like this. We have reduced holiness into something that is easy, and we crowd into that broad way and try to practice it. Make it an easy salvation. When I read that, I was a little shocked. I'm like, this guy's not apostolic. And he's talking about reducing holiness into something that's easy. Salvation is not something we can take lightly and equate it just to how many programs our church can have. We must ask ourselves, have we become our own false prophet? If I am not willing to get behind my pastor when he preaches truth, and I am not willing to put into practice what he preaches, then I have a problem. In the last century, there was higher critical movements which condemned doctrinal preaching and it advocated preaching of morality and to be more uplifting, which definitely has its place. But we must take a stand against unrighteousness, especially when our culture, our world, our media, everything is hammered into us. 
and not just to our young people. It affects us as well. You can't just say, well, now that I've reached a certain age, I can handle this kind of movie. Really? Because your Holy Ghost shouldn't like that. Another quote from David was, they still talked about Jesus. They still talked about his death on the cross. They did not stand out as obvious as heretics, but they did not say those other things that are vital to salvation. They gave this vague message that never upset anybody. They were so pleasant and modern and up to date. I was so convicted when I read this. This guy is not apostolic. And I'm like, is this happening in our churches? We must be willing to take a stand and say, not in my church. My pastor is preaching truth, and we need to get behind him and say, I am going to agree with what you say, not just with my amen, not just with a hand clap, but with my words and actions when I leave this building. One quote that I used to love so much, I still do, it says, the moment you settle for less than you deserve, you get even less than you settled for. What one generation tolerates and says, ah, I guess that's fine. Like, I'm not really comfortable with that, but I guess it's not that big of a deal. The next generation accepts as normal. We must become that generation that says, no, this is not okay. And I will not just stand here and watch these younger people try to take away things. I will not become someone that tries to rip down the pastor and his preaching. Most of us in here are not married, we don't have kids, but we are still at critical places in our lives where what we do does matter. There are people still looking up to you. You might not even know it. What you post on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, what you do, where you spend your time, where your money, where you spend your money is affecting more than just you, whether you know it or not. We must be careful not to just be in on the in crowd, but boldly stand for what is right. Verse 16, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do, ma- do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Every good tree brings forth good fruit. So that's pretty reasonable. We understand that. To look at the word corrupt here, Um, be careful to know that it doesn't mean rotten because a rotten tree isn't going to bring forth any fruit. This is a tree that looks like it could be okay, but it's got something going on with it. It's corrupt. Trees which resemble each other and that they look perfectly all right do not of necessity produce the same kind of fruit. The corrupt tree brings forth fruit of poor quality. This is people confessing to be Christian without really being so. People who have decided that some things just don't matter to them anymore. But Christ insists upon the fruit and the tree agreeing. A good tree, it'll have good fruit. If you know what that tree is, then you know what fruit to expect. We wouldn't look to gather grapes from thorns or figs from thistles. It is not in their nature to produce such. By the fruits of their persons, their words and actions, and the courses of their conversation. If you would know whether they be right or not, observe how they live. Their works will testify for them or against them. I would say we need to turn that and look at ourselves. 
What do my actions say about me? What is the fruit I am producing? Because if it's not good fruit, it's corrupt fruit. Scribes and Pharisees sat in Moses' chair and taught the law. But they were proud. They were false, oppressive. Therefore, Christ warned his disciples to beware of them. We must look at ourselves. Am I proud? Am I jealous? Am I oppressing someone? Am I tearing down people behind their back? Has that become a fruit of me? If men pretend to be prophets and are immoral, this disproves their pretensions. They are no true friends to the cross or to the truth. Early in the, earlier in this chapter, Jesus warned us to judge ourselves first, to look for the speck in our own eye before, t- before turning our attention to our brother. So we must turn and look at ourselves. Do I bear the fruit unto God's glory? Do my actions bring forth his name praise? Do my thoughts bring forth his name praise? Does my time reflect that my mind is stayed on Jesus? Because it's so easy to sing a song. But when I leave here, what happens? I would say to you that we are all preaching, all of us. I would guess that all of us in here are not hiding the fact that we attend an apostolic church. You're probably not, like, lying about that. You're probably not hiding the facts, ladies, that you wear a skirt every day. It, you can't. I would guess that we're all kind of preaching that, like, this is, who, this is who I am. I live this life. But are we practicing what we're preaching? Most of us, if asked, would be willing to explain salvation to someone. So our lives are preaching. But are we practicing what we preach? Would someone be interested in asking you what you have? Are we lining up everything else in our lives to bring forth God's praise? Are we making those decisions daily to stay on the narrow path? Are we choosing Jesus every day every hour, every moment? Are we bearing the fruits of what we think we are? Do we just say, oh, I'm a good tree because I go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I even attend young adult prayer on Tuesdays. I read my Bible every day, but are our actions showing that we read our Bibles every day? Do we seem godly and uplifting? My title is, you are preaching, but are you practicing? We have to be careful that as we choose, as we choose this straight and narrow path, that as we decide, I'm, I'm going to stay on this straight and narrow, I'm going to live this life, that when I walk out those doors, I'm still staying. And I'm thankful 
Zach, you talked about it earlier when you were leading worship, that he makes his mercy new every morning. And because I messed up today, I can get up and say, God, I need you. I need you to purge me, oh God. Make me clean. Wash me. Make me whiter than snow. But don't just clean me out, God. Help me follow through with those actions. I want to follow you. I know that all of you in here, you're saying, I want to be a good Christian. I want to do the right things. But it does take effort. And we must say, I have decided to follow you in every aspect and in every way. Brother Lopez, if you would come and lead us in prayer and kind of close this out. Thank you.